Guys, welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today I've got my friend Cliff Gray of Flat Top Wilderness Guides on the line from Colorado. Cliff, how you doing? Good. Thanks for having me again, Jay. Crazy times right now. The coronavirus, uh, this COVID-19 has uh, COVID-19, right? Yeah, yeah. COVID-19 is just, I mean... It's a crazy world right now. People are absolutely losing their mind. Uh, Cliff, someone that uh, like yourself that's you know, kind of born and raised and grew up in Colorado and then went to a fancy college and had a big fancy job and then went back to outfitting, but someone that has been in the Wall Street world and the big financial markets, um, what do you think, man? This is crazy. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's, I think it's a surreal I mean, it feels surreal to me in a lot of ways. Um, you know, like uh, like we've discussed before. You know, Jay, I think I think we'll I think we'll we'll all persevere through it, and uh, you know, we'll get we'll get through it. I don't think it's the the end of it all, but it will, I think I personally think we got probably a few weeks of challenging times, um, and then economically probably probably a few months, uh, if not if not a few years. To kind of get ourselves out of uh, what this, what these kind of circumstances do, but um, but I think it's all good. You know, I uh, I hopefully you know we're we're kind of all locked down, me and my family, and we've been kind of enjoying that. In some ways, it's kind of it's kind of nice to get uh, remind yourself that uh, spending time with family and having time to do that's pretty important. So um, that's been a nice, I guess, a, a silver lining to the the whole quarantine in place deal. Yeah, you know, I've. Um still follow your wife and yourself on Instagram, and I think she posted this morning that the kids were watching you blow snow off the patio up at the ranch, and <laughs> it looks like you guys just got a pretty good little storm. Um, let's talk a little bit about the uh, conditions going into this draw. I think we've got a deadline April 7th here in Colorado, but I, uh, you know, tell us about the snowpack and the snowfall and you know, how has the winter been there? So both deer and elk, they look like they're in pretty good shape to me from, from what I can observe. I actually noticed this last week, a lot of our deer are starting to move back up. And I, I, the snowpack is, uh, you know, I haven't actually kept track of it, you know, the stats, Jay, but my feeling is that it's right at normal, it's not slightly above it. But the last two weeks have been fairly warm. So pretty much everything under, you know, 9,500 has seen a, a you know, a a huge decrease in, in snow, and a lot of it's actually bare ground. So a lot of the, the higher winter range, all that country's in pretty good shape. Um, all the elk I see in particular are in great shape. So I don't see, uh, you know, a drastic issue unless unless we end up getting a bunch of, I know we have a storm this week. And so, you know, this time of year you can still get stuff that's de- detrimental to them. Um, but I don't see anything major at this point, and I'll, I'll keep on knocking on wood that that, that stays that way. Um, so it looks, if I remember right, last year there was a little bit of worry that there was so much snow that you were worried about winter kill. Um, did that end up happening? You know, did you notice once everything thawed out that there had been some winter kill and from all your friends around the state, you know, did you hear of, of that in last winter? So it's, it's an interesting question because here in our units and let's, a bunch of them together. Some of the main area that I guide deer in is 25, but I spend a lot of time in 26, 34, 44, like that whole family of Garfield and Eagle County units. You know, coming out of winter, 
um, everyone I talked to, including the biologist, uh, claimed to me that there wasn't any significant amount of winter kill, but there was, you know, we had had deep snow. Um, I actually, myself and my guides throughout the, throughout the season and then into the fall, we observed lower deer numbers. I mean, it's, it's always anecdotal, you know, just to the area you're spending a bunch of time in. But I personally think that there was a lot more winter kill than, they, than, they, <clears throat> than was claimed last year and that just i mean there's a lot of areas you know jay where we pack through and there's you know there's six does that live in this little chunk of aspens or there's 12 does that live here or whatever and just if you go through those enough to me you get a good enough data set of like what you know what the population is around there and it was pretty clear to me that that some deer died last last winter um and then you know i I can't really say that our harvest success in hunting in the fall of 2019 was was poor because of that, because there's a lot of other variables that weren't ideal for hunting. So I don't know that it was completely related to to, to winter kill, but it's probably a factor. Okay, that that makes sense. So, but what you've seen so far is it's more of an average winter, nothing extra out of the ordinary, or not anticipating and you know, so far, any any more winter kill, so to speak, on the deer moving forward. And, and yeah. obviously you can't yeah. predict what happens over the next two weeks, but what you've seen so yeah, far. Yeah, no, I think we're pretty good for this, this winter. Okay. It's a lot better, it's a lot better conditions than, than the previous winter was. Okay. And um, I want to tell the listeners, um, you're going to have to forgive uh, us a little bit uh, the service that I use to record these podcasts has sent me an email the last two days saying that because of the coronavirus and everybody being at home that this service, that people are using this conference service so much that the bandwidth. So, uh, you know, if there's periods of time where there's a little bit of, uh, you know, not as clear or, you know, some digitizing, we're just going to have to plow through that. Um, because Cliff w- lives 500 miles from me and can't do it in person. Um, so we're just going to do the best we can. Uh, Cliff, we've got this deadline of uh, April 7th, and uh, for those listeners that have not hunted in Colorado, briefly, can you tell us a little bit about the draw, how there's also over-the-counter opportunities, there's a limited uh, draw, there's preference points, um, and so really for everyone with points, without points, there is something for everybody in Colorado and just touch on that a bit. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll go over it, th- go through and I'll try to be brief. Jay, just, you can kind of steer in the right direction if I get off track on, on two things, but I'll, on, on, on one thing or the other, but I'll try to cover what applies to most people. And so the big ones are you have your over the counter opportunities in Colorado Basically, if you don't have points, if you've never hunted in Colorado, uh, if you fall in those categories, you've got a bunch of over-the-counter uh, elk uh, tags available. There's a bunch of uh, archery over-the-counter. Some of it is archery-only bull over-the-counter. Some of it's still archery either sex over-the-counter. And then your second and third rifle season in a large proportion of the state is uh is over the counter and if you have been hunting in colorado you, you probably should pay attention to the book fairly well this year just because some of that has changed you know some of the archery units have gone from either sex to uh 
to bull only, and some of them have gone from either sex just to completely draw. So that that's something to consider. A couple of the rifle units also went to draw. So and that might be a continuing trend. So we'll have to pay attention to that as the as the years progress. Um, but those are your over the counter um, options, and then. There's kind of another category, which I, for all intents and purposes, the tags are available. They're not technically over-the-counter, but they're readily available. You can either get them through the draw without points, or a lot of times they're going to be on the leftover lists. And in Colorado, there's a lot of opportunity for archery deer that's like that. You can draw zero points. Um, and then there's a, a lot of bear opportunity now. And if you look at the book, you know, it's pretty clear. You can see that the CPW is pushing the the bear hunting opportunity across the st across the state, and then also across seasons. So, yeah, you can you can look into that. I mean, like the bear stuff is draw, but if you put in, you're going to draw it. Um, if you don't go through the draw, you're going to have opportunity to get it in the leftover uh, on the leftover list later on. Um, and they've actually made a little change where there's a secondary draw, but we can, we'll get into that after uh, after this topic. But um, so your bear opportunity, you have that your archery deer opportunity, and then in some of the bigger groups of elk units, the first rifle season is draw across the whole state for elk. But for many of the units, including ours, that first rifle season, it, it's you're going to draw the tag even if you don't have any preference points. So that those are kind of your opportunity hunts. And then on the draw side, you know the vast well all of our deer tags are are draw. Um, but outside of the a lot of the archery tags that I mentioned that are pretty readily uh, uh, available through the draw with zero points. A lot of the tags in Colorado are going to take one or two points all the way up to you know twenty plus points to draw, and that you know one change that's that we're not going to know until the draw comes out is my guess with these later dates this year and ne and next year and ongoing you're probably going to see those the amount of points it takes to draw some of those higher point deer tags and even lower point deer tags are probably going to bump up a little bit as people try to hunt these these later seasons. So does that kind of give so you another word? Yeah, with the later dates that that Colorado has for the deer, people are noticing that those dates are later, and that the opportunity and that the actual hunt should be better, should see more bucks, should have more rutting. You're saying that you think that it's probably going to take quite a bit of points to draw some of these tags uh, because there's going to be people flooding in to try and actually get those permits, right? Whether they be high draw or even some of the lower per, uh, preference point numbers, they're going to, they're going to, people are going to be cashing in their points this year and next yeah. year, next year's even later. <clears throat> yeah. So I think, I think you hit on one of the big, one of the big variables that's going to push, push the points up and that's it basically this year and next year a little bit later, particularly the third and fourth season, right? And then, uh, it, you know, this is more of a grim opinion, but I know it's circulating amongst a lot of people, and that's that because there's been this shift in seasons, the, and the third season quotas are large historically, and they're staying large going into 2000, the fall of 2020, there's also this idea that there's a lot of bucks are going to be taken out of the system, you know, in the next couple of years. I mean, it's drastic enough that 
unless we get just really tough hunting conditions, a lot of the units are going to see a lot of the quality come out of the deer herd. Just mathematically, there's no way for that not to happen. So I think a lot of people who are on it are going to try to burn their points uh, because of the later dates and also because they don't see a lot of pot, like future, you know, future um, improvement in the deer herd, I guess. I mean, you know, a lot of variables play in, so they may be right, they may be wrong, but I think the general view is probably true that you might as well use them because, not, you know, these, these things are not, they're, they're not going to be great for the deer herd. Well, someone could argue that if the Department of Wildlife realized that the dates were going to be bumped back and that deer were going to be able to be hunted, you know, in a lot of the winter range conditions and, uh, you know, more in the open country where they're going to be rutting and very visible, that they could have done those dates and, you know, had an incredible hunt for hunters, but they could have taken the quotas and dropped them considerable uh, amount so that, yes, it would create phenomenal hunting opportunities, but in return, what they did is they they made the dates where they are, but they left the quotas the same. So what you're saying is you're going to have the same amount of, or I guess what someone could argue is that you're going to have the same amount of people out there hunting in pretty much prime conditions to shoot big mature deer and that people want to use their points in the next year or two because they're afraid three, four years from now there won't be these big mature bucks that Colorado is known for, right? Right, right. And so <clears throat> I think you're lot, like, so we're totally in agreement on that. I do know this is what I've been told, and, and I think everybody's hearing this, is that the quotas aren't going to change this year. So um, it is, you know, assuming this year is like your average year, the quotas aren't going to change and more bucks are going to die. That's almost set in stone, right? Now, they could... They, they've told us that if it is drastic or something they didn't anticipate that, you know, in, in years two, three, four, five down the road, so we're talking like 2021 and ladder, they could reduce the quotas, right? And so you might not have like, you know, ongoing heavy um, take of, of deer, but this year it's going to it's gonna happen. So, so, yeah, so people are exactly what you're saying. They're, they're basically trying to get ahead of the fact that, that a lot of the units are going to see uh, higher harvest. And I've looked at it, Jay. It's, there, there's, when I looked at the data, I, I, uh, and I'm just a nerd about these things, I, uh, there were some things that surprised me a little bit about it, and then there were some things that uh, kind of fleshed out the way that I thought, and particularly the mountain units that I'm used to, and like uh, you know, up here in the Vale Valley and Roaring Fork Valley, and all that's going to be the same. And I and I I didn't actually look at Gunnison, but I imagine it's going to be about the same too. And that's that. Here, if you look at harvest rates historically between third and fourth season, um, they're significantly different. I mean, they're they're much higher during fourth season. You know, I, I know in the units that I looked at. I mean, they basically average you know twenty twenty five percent higher success rate in the fourth season. But the third season's got way higher quota than the fourth season. So if you just bump the dates and you assume that now fourth, the historical fourth season harvest rate is going to be what third season is and you put it on that quota. I mean, just an example, I looked at 25. And in the average year with the new system, they're going to be harvesting something like 50 to 60 extra bucks out of that one unit a year. 
Um, and that's a lot. I mean, you're talking about a unit that historically only has like 54th season tags. So you're basically doubling, if not more, the rut take out of a, an area. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I mean, the thing that people are having a hard time with is usually that rut take that you talk about is more mature deer, and so you double that, you're going to double the amount of mature deer that comes out of the unit. And, you know, when I heard about it, that was the biggest gripe I had of, you know, man, it's, I hate to see Colorado cook the golden goose. It seems like, you know, in a way they've already done that a lot with elk um, and, and to see, you know, the the crown jewel of, of deer hunting, you know, I, I just know, well, my opinion is if they have favorable weather conditions that, yeah, a lot of deer are going to die. But, you know, they've got a tough job to do. So, I, you know, I don't want to be the guy just throwing yeah, darts sure. at them. But, but sometimes I, I just scratch my head. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I no, that one, it's, to, it's, you did it's, a, it's a hard one not to cringe at, you know, Jake, but, but it is, it is yeah. what it is, you know. Um, your operation, Flat Tops Wilderness Guides, you operate obviously in the Flat Tops, primarily in Unit 25. Um, you're, you've been for years uh, doing a lot of drop camps. Um, you know, you've done bear hunts. You've done everything from bear hunts, sheep hunts, mountain goat to elk, deer, um, the whole gamut of the big game animals. But talk. Uh, Talk about your operation specifically and, and kind of a standard day of how, how your deal works. Sure. So about half my business, or a little bit, little bit more than half my business is drop camp. So that's kind of this, like semi-guided or do-it-yourself option in the sense that we pack you into camps in the wilderness area. And most of those camps are two to three hours horseback ride in. Uh, in a in a, uh, a hiking or, or uh, horseback only access area, and that really the service we provide there is we pack guys into the camps, and then you hunt on your own. Uh, we pack all your gear and we pack game out, elk and deer out for you, um, and then we have form of communication if you need help during during your hunt. Um, but you're on you're on your own during the hunt, and um, that's that part of the operation and that's very much horse based and then our guided part of it in the in october and november we do a bunch of guided deer hunting and guided elk hunting we do some of that out of a camp on the mountain and then we do then we do uh quite a bit of it out of our lodge and you've been up to up to the lodge up there and so we do it out of there they're all horse yeah and they're all they're all horseback based hunts um and I've got um, I've got a couple openings first rifle for elk, and that could actually be a combination elk bear uh, opportunity. That's kind of like the last the last week uh, where we're, we're still seeing some bear activity. Once you get past kind of mid October, it slows down. We'll see them every once in a while, but it's pretty pretty minimal. But that can be a combo elk and bear hunt. And then I've got a couple uh, openings fourth season, which can be can be a, it could hypothetically be an elk in deer combination hunt also but the deer takes points whereas the elk you can you can usually draw zero or one point so uh it's a great late season deer hunting this this year will be interesting given how how late it is we'll probably hunt some lower country than we typically do um but it'll still be you know horse-based uh lodge hunt which which should be fun so i've got a couple openings there also um and then on the goats the goats and sheep uh, we do we do some sheep hunting in the flat tops, uh, some of the areas here in the in the Vale Valley, 
and then a lot of the goats historically have done in the collegians in in that area um and we kind of do that i never i never really know how much i'm gonna i'm gonna do that uh each year it seems like every year i uh i don't think i'm gonna do that much and then i end up guiding almost every day of september myself and a couple of my guides so and last year seemed to be it was the year of the, the sh- of sheep for us. We t- typically, I'm tilted more towards goats. Uh, I like hunting them. I like hunting both, but just de- kind of depends on the bookings a little bit. But usually, it's about three quarters goats and a quarter sheep. And then last year was shifted the other way. So, does that kind of give you a good overview? Yeah, for for sure. And one thing I'd like to point out is the lodge that you have is private property that you own that is adjacent to your concession, if you will, or or adjacent to the national forest land. Uh, and then all of your camps uh, that you run that are up, let's call it up on the mountain, those are on uh, forest service uh, land. And if you run your stock and everything right out of your lodge that's directly adjacent, big, beautiful lodge uh, and accommodations and a pond that you can fish in and all that stuff. Um, but it's a really neat setup. Uh, but, but then some of the deer, and especially with the deer seasons being late this year, when you're talking about that fourth season, uh, I, I would assume that a, a, some of that deer hunting, depending on weather, like you said, you might hunt some of the lower country. What you mean by that is a little bit more of the sagebrush, a little bit more maybe down by the lodge and even getting in the vehicle and and covering some ground, whereas maybe with the dates being earlier, those deer might still be, quote-unquote, up on the mountain where you would be, you know, heavily using horseback and such to get to those deer. Is that right? Right. Yeah, so the, the more we're still hunting, like the conifer aspen transition, and then the the top of like the the sagebrush pinion juniper stuff the the more we're using horses and in, in riding further from the lodge once they're in the lower country and they've moved primarily into winter range we still ride but just not as far and then i do lease a, a couple small uh you know down ranches that we that we hunt we might hunt once or twice that week it, but if the if the deer are all pushed down real low i kind of i kind of started leasing those places and getting the access because i was a little concerned that i might have years where the deer push beyond us so if that were the case i'd probably more heavily play uh, hunt those i haven't historically but you know this year with four season basically five days later and then in 2021 fourth season's actually almost 12 days later um than it than it has been um i imagine i'll probably hunt some of that lower country even more and i mean historically you guys have killed some phenomenal bucks and a lot of it correct me if i'm wrong a lot of it has to do with the weather and has to do with those deer moving out of some of that country that you can't see as well into you know some areas that you guys know because you ride it every day and know that those bucks are actually visible and um you know i I remember one buck you know a couple years ago that was a big giant non-typical just a just a nasty bugger um and, and, and that's, that could happen on any given year hunting with you, right? It's not something that you probably like to promote because it sets expectations so high, but the reality is there are big deer around. Yeah, so it's, it's interesting country in the sense that um, when the deer are up high and they're spread across their summer range, 
they're they're very difficult to hunt in any consistent in consi- consistent manner and that's why i mean there's some guys in our country you know in in september that do okay on mule deer with with archery equipment but gen i mean it, it's it's not a it's not a heavily hunted archery area early on like a lot of the other uh deer areas in colorado are and that's because they're just hard to get there. it's very it's like it's almost impenetrable fixed swaths of timber they'll get into. In a lot of high country, because it's a plateau, it's actually kind of hard to glass. So it's almost easier once they've bumped down a little bit to hunt them. Um, so a lot of our big deer, well, they just won't get messed with, you know, for for all of all of September. And some of them, you know, just they there's always some susceptibility once they go into the low country and they rut some of those big deer for sure just get killed that time of year but in the years past some have always been able to slip through because you know they just there's so much country out there and yeah we have killed some some pretty phenomenal phenomenal deer and the genetics provided i mean if you look if you look historically i mean these are the counties that produce a bunch of bunch of huge deer so so they're there like you say it's not a not an everyday occurrence but but they are there and then you mentioned uh, bears. Uh, you also operate bear hunts, uh, I believe, that coincide with the seasons like you were mentioning. But you also, I mean, you've got some really good bear hunting. Are you going to um, take advantage of that bear hunting this coming season? Yeah, so we'll, we're still doing guy bear hunts in September. Um, and they, uh, you know, last year, it's kind of interesting, you know, Jay, like I've, probably the last four or five years I've gotten more into bear hunting in the fall and it's kind of completely different than the this, this spring and I found that your overall season is very dependent on your feed your food sources so for us in a big acorn year they're a lot easier to hunt and and the reason is is that they're up in the oak brush in that country we can glass a whole bunch of it at one time and it's like a very glassing intensive hunt you basically sit somewhere and glass as much you know high potential country as you can and so in an acorn year our success rate is is usually phenomenal like if you don't kill one it would be it would be an anomaly and in a year like 2019 where we didn't get the acorn crop but we had a strong berry crop um you hunt them the same way but just because of the topography you're hunting, you tend to only be able to glass, you know, smaller areas just because you're glassing bottoms. Um, there, your success your success rate goes down a little bit just because you you can't cover as much ground as you know as you can when they're when they're feeding on acorns. But like last year, I I mean I'd have to do the math, but I think probably seventy seventy five percent of our bear hunters killed bears, and I would say out of the last three years that was the toughest toughest year. So, um, yeah. we, you know, we, it, for, it's, it, it, like, it's, it's a different hunt than our elk and deer hunts. It's a, it takes a little more patience, um, but they're fun and, you know, they're high success. So, so we've been, we've been, we've been picking away at them. I think we killed seven or eight bears last year. On, on those acorn years when the oak brush is full of, of bears, I mean, it's not uncommon to see what, five, eight, ten bears on a day or more. Yeah, uh, we've had we've had afternoons for sure that we've seen that we've seen double digits. Um, but I would say when it's you know it's uh, you know like your average good week when they're feeding in in the acorns, you're going to see you know between two and five bears in the afternoon. And I say afternoon 
not that we don't hunt in the mornings, but I would probably 85% of our bears we kill in the last two and a half hours of light. And uh, particularly, honestly, particularly in the oak brush, and I don't know, I don't know why that is. I don't know if it just takes them a little bit longer to get out in it, um, but it tends to be an afternoon focused hunt. But they're kind of fun. I mean, I've gotten where I really enjoy, you know, glassing for them in the oak brush because you tend to, you know, you you're not really looking for bears because it's so high. You're just looking for movement, right? You, you'll just see you'll just see one start to shake a little branch, and then you can zone in there and you'll you'll pick them out of the oak brush. So it's kind of they're, they're a fun animal to observe from my standpoint. So it's fun. Gotcha. Talk a little bit about the um, fourth season deer hunts that you're going to have some availability. Uh, those. I don't have the Gohan Insider right in front of me, but those don't take a lot of points, uh, and you're going to have phenomenal dates of the 18th through the 22nd. Talk about uh, point structure, what you think uh, the, the points it will take for someone out there listening that might want to be interested in a, you know, just before a Thanksgiving, uh, you know, potential mega rut hunt. So I think... I, I, my, you know, historically they've drawn around five or six points, or excuse me, around four or five points for a non-resident. My guess is you might see that tick up to six or seven this year. But I think anybody in the five to seven zone probably has a pretty, pretty darn good chance of drawing them. Um, and how we do those hunts is it's just in the lodge, get up in the morning, in the dark, get on the horses. And then we've got a glassing location we're going to ride to uh, if, we're, if we're hunting the, the high country. And then, uh, like, like I mentioned before, if we're hunting one of the lower ranches, we, we hike into glassing points there. And let's talk a little bit about uh, guys listening that are thinking, man, I don't really know how to ride a horse. Um, talk about your stock a little bit and uh, how gentle and, you know, how, how good your animals are. Yeah, so... So what I tell people, and in, in, I mean the first thing is I I just tell people like what the what the reality is, and that's that every all the majority of my clientele, and this goes for all horseback based outfitters in in Colorado, there most people haven't ridden uh, very much. You know, a lot of I'd say half of the guys probably haven't ridden in the last five years, and then probably a quarter of them have never ridden, or they did when they were kids. So your horses, for the most part, are they're safe for anybody. Um, you know, in, in these sort of operations, they don't last very long. If there's any, if there's any, uh, insight that they're not going to be, you know, calm and docile. So, uh, you know, majority of my horses, my little kids have, have ridden. And I also tell people like, and this is true, mountain horses tend to be very, very self-preservationist over time because they're on trails and stuff. So they know even if a rider's telling them to do something, They'll they'll almost ignore that rider if it if it's something that's not not uh, not smart, right? They're not going to walk off a trail. They're not going to do something like that whenever they know it's not not good for them, and then correspondingly good for you because you're on their back. So uh, it's a uh, so in other you know, words, it's, it's almost um, like autopilot. Pretty, yeah, I mean, it, yeah, almost is kind of an under under exaggeration of that. I mean, they pretty much are on autopilot. They know where the camps are. You know, like a lot of, I mean, I can leave a camp on one of my horses and I could close my, like I could leave at midnight and they would show up to the barn. You know, they know, they know where the camp is and they know the the deal. I mean, I, 
you know we don't do it on purpose uh, very often, but if you you know if you harvest a deer right at light you know right at uh, twilight or whatever, um, you ride in the dark and we do it quite often and they know exactly where they're going. So um, it's it's kind of a, it that that can kind of take people's breath away if they're not used to it. But we generally don't use lights on them because it kind of messes with their night vision. So you just ride out of the mountains and just trust them and they they know where they're going. Yeah, and they're they're motivated too because they know where feed is and and all that. <laughs> they're they're uh, motivated by their bellies growling, huh? <laughs> That's right. Um, I noticed you did a really good write up on your website for your mountain goat and your uh, sheep. Very extensive, good good um, write up there. Um, tell people where they can find that if they're interested in, you know, more specifics about the mountain goat and sheep stuff. Yeah, so what I've been trying to do uh, is go through every unit that I have that I have some experience in, and I, each year I'm just writing them up and putting them on our blog. So if, if you go to ftguide.com and you click the blog link on the top uh, right there, it's like on the main menu. If you click that, you're going to see a write-up that's on the goat units that I know. You'll see one on the sheep units I know, and then you'll actually see one that covers the elk and deer in our primary, primary units too. The sheep and goat are not just the units here that are local to me. They're, I've guided for a lot of guys all over the state, so all the units that I feel like I had something to add and some insight on, you'll see the, the write-up there. And there's some changes. You know, probably if, you know, if guys are looking at goat units right now, they need to probably they need to look at the fact that 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 G13 and G3 combined into one unit and turned into G3. So keep that in mind if you've been if you've been applying for one of those. Um, there's been a there's been a bump up in a couple of the units, including right here outside of Vail. So that that unit's changed. Um, and then on the sheep side, kind of the same deal. There's been a, none of the units have changed border wise. Um, none of the units that I'm familiar with and guide in, but some of them have bumped up quotas and some of them have reduced quotas. And it's, you can, on those notes, I've made note of that because a lot of them are, some of them are, I agree with from a biological standpoint, some of them I don't, but the, the thing that actually matters most is when those, when those quotas for sheep go up and down, the points drastically adjust, right? So, because a lot of times what you'll see is if, these these small herds, if they go from one tag to two, t or if they go from two tags and they go they bump down to one tag, what you'll see is that year your chances of drawing goes way down because a lot of people kind of autopilot their application put in for the same unit for whatever reason, like they know the area, whatever. So whenever a unit goes from two tags to one tag, it doesn't necessarily mean that that application. That stuff because of the chances, you know. So I try to make note of any of those changes in there. Good stuff, man. Um, one thing we have not talked about that seems to be growing, and you know, some of the guides that I know, you know, in the valley and such, you know, rant and rave about uh, your fishing opportunities in the summer. Talk a little bit about. Uh, those opportunities, and if anybody out there is listening, if they're going to be in that area, what you know, what it would take for them to go up and fish for a day or two, or however you work your fishing camps. 
Yeah, so we do two different, uh, well, three different options. We do day fishing trips out of the lodge, um, and that, again, that's horseback-based stuff. We go up to a stream or a small alpine lake and, and fish, and then we do two longer duration trips. One, we just do a multi-day out of the lodge, and that, that tends to be more and more popular. Um, guys can hit different types of water and different types of fishing each day, and then we do a camp-based trip. Um, and that's kind of on a new new area that we've been we've been exploring more and more. And that's a camp that's you know roughly three hours into the wilderness. And then daily we're just going out of that camp and fishing. And uh, that has some like that for a guy for guys or or gals or families that are adventurous. That has a lot of a lot of options where if you're willing to hike a little bit and get into some some alpine lakes, a lot of those lakes have not been not been fished or they they may get fished by one or two people a year some years never you know that sort of thing so they're they're fun spots to get into they all take a little work but it you know it's a it's a wilderness fishing trip and guys are welcome to to contact uh, us about those trips to be honest jay i'm i'm more of a passionate hunter and and not as up to speed as i'd like to be on the fly fishing so jimmy who works for me he he kind of keeps keeps uh, everything he's kind of in charge of that component of it but he will i mean he he'll he'll talk to whoever and and answer all their questions about it so we continue to grow it grow it and i don't know if you've seen but we're working with a bunch of local fly shops and stuff too and some guys down in denver that they they're coming up with clients quite quite often now and and exploring all the opportunities most of those fish are they cutthroat and brook trout or what are they yeah, so so generally in the lower streams, you're going to be majority brook trout and then some cutthroat, and then the 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 high lakes, they're they're the bigger fish in the high lakes. It kind of depends. Some of them will be almost completely brook trout, and then a lot of the ones that are harder to get to are mainly larger cutthroat. And that in the guys that are you know really gung ho about it. Those tend to be, you know, we're targeting like trophy cutthroat in those high high lakes, and then we actually have some some lakes that have lake trout in them, um, but they tend to be a little bit hard. We almost, you know, the best success I've actually seen on them is like right when the ice comes off and guys get up there on those lake trout, and there's just actually a couple lakes in particular, or if guys actually pack in float tubes and go after them. So our focus in the la- the higher lakes is primarily bigger cutthroat. And they catch them pretty dang big cutthroat too, and beautiful with the red. I mean, the flash oh, yeah. and the you know this red cheeks and the fish are beautiful. Hell yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and are like they those fish are not too. extremely hard to catch, right? They're they're pretty 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 fun because yeah. they're pretty acceptable to flies and whatever you throw at them. Yeah, I mean, if you, I mean, my success rate up there is really high, Jay. And if you saw me you know, uh, casting a fly rod, I'm sure you'd, you'd, it'd be hard for you to hold back the laughter. So uh, it, it, they're not, not a super difficult fish to catch in my, in my experience. Right on, man. Well, I, I, I just don't uh, see, I don't, they probably don't see much, you know, they just don't get messed with very much. Yeah, because, I mean, some of these lakes we're talking are, you know, for someone to walk up in there would take, what, a day or maybe even more just to yeah, get yeah, to the yeah. lake. Yeah, a lot of a lot of them are four or five hour hikes. Yeah. 
Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate you spending some time with us. Um, get back to your family and uh, quarantine there and just kind of uh, try and escape. Hopefully we can all uh, escape this virus and, and uh, hopefully it's going to flatten the curve and be a minimal damage uh, situation. And, and uh, I think it seems like uh, our leaders are really trying to um, – nip this thing in the bud and flatten this curve and i hope that's what happens i want to encourage everyone out there to you know do what they're do what the cdc is saying and wash your hands and you know try and stay positive and you know look at this time period as like cliff said where you've got some time to do some chores got some time to spend some time with some family and you know kind of unhook if you will unplug uh from your normal routine and i know it's hard for a lot of us because uh, we're so used to being in our routine. But, you know, I think sometimes there's times like this that can really uh, ground us and put things in perspective. So I want to encourage everyone out there listening. Um, I, I want to thank Cliff for coming on. I also want to thank the sponsors of this podcast. I want to thank GoHunt.com Insider. Uh, the Insider is an awesome resource for draw odds and harvest statistics. If you're not an Insider member, you can go to GoHunt.com forward slash Scott. Just for signing up, you're going to get a $50 Go Hunt Gear Shop gift card. I also want to thank the optics department, my friend Cody Nelson of 20-plus years, uh, probably 25-plus years now. He's the optics manager over there. If you have any optical needs at all, if you're looking to buy any optics, whether it be binos, spotting scopes, tripods, uh, rifle scopes, rangefinders, anything to do with glassing, give Cody a call, 702-847-8747. Uh, that's extension two. You can also text or call him on his cell phone, 602-399-3699. I want to thank Phonescope.com. Use the JScott20 promo code at Phonescope.com. You're going to save 10% discount. Uh, also, OnxMaps.com, great private public land overlay, great aerial uh, topo uh, hybrid mode. They've got a breadcrumb feature that you know, kind of track you in, track you out. You can import, export out of Google Earth. Uh, go to onxmaps.com. Use the JScott20 promo code. It's going to save you 20%. And then Apex Ammunition, that is the TSS, the Tungsten Super Shot. Uh, that's what I'm going to be using for my turkey hunts this spring. Uh, I just did a podcast with Nick Charney, one of the uh, co-founders of the company uh, based out of Mississippi. Uh, those guys, um, they're all uh, veterans and actually a few active. Uh, Nick is still in the Air Force. Uh, but the, the theory behind it is they're shooting a really dense pattern, smaller pellets. So they're shooting, you know, anywhere from 7, 8, 9 shot. Uh, but there's going to be a lot more pellets in the kill zone out at 40 yards than, say, the standard old number fives. So um, go to Apex Ammunition if you want to order uh, that. And I uh, want to thank you guys for supporting this podcast. Cliff, it's always great having you on. Um, you're always a wealth of knowledge, and uh, just stay safe out there, okay, buddy? Yeah, you too, man. Thanks a lot. And everybody out there, good luck. We'll, we'll prevail, man. And I, I, I reflect all the stuff you just said, TJ. It's all a little shared sacrifice. is probably good for everybody every once in a while, you know? Yeah, for sure. And um, I'll link up uh, your website. Uh, and how you get a hold of Cliff. Uh, I encourage you guys to do that. Uh, he d runs a great operation, so get a hold of him at flattopswildernessguides.com. Uh, right, Cliff? Yep. All right, buddy. Take care. God bless. All right. Thank you, Jimmy.